And with much creaking, we are go. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Virginia Company Podcast. I am your host, John Smith. And I'm just checking up on you. How you doing? It's a busy night tonight as we all prepare for that wonderful time of the year in which we feast and partake in that most sacred of sins, gluttony. And I am ready, bringing you healthy, new, fresh, 30 to 45 minute content I hope uh, all y'all are ready because I just got done smoking a cigar, relaxing for a bit, prepping some of my notes and getting ready to rant for you for a solid hour. Maybe not an hour. We'll see how long it goes. Now, I've noticed in the last couple of months, uh, you know, ever since I started launching this jokes that, um, well, it's all rather off the cuff. It's kind of unprofessional. It generally sucks. My presentation goes from, you know, pre-readied and precise to rambling and but moments. There's a certain beauty to that, but there's also kind of a, well, a lackluster effect. I think that I'm ready to move on, be prof- professional, be precise, and get my words right. But tonight's not that night. No, tonight is another off-the-cuff rambling episode, though I promise you in future it might get a little more refined. Go ahead and tell me what you think, you know, if you can. I'd be happy to take any and all feedback. I have an Instagram. Follow me, Virginia Company Podcast. On Instagram. Now, I'll tell you this. I just got done smoking a combination, I think, from Rocky Patel and Drew Estates called the Java. It's a fairly popular cigar. It's delicious. It wasn't Java Mint, just Java. It's a medium uh, medium cigar, I would say. And it, it was delicious. It was delicious. You could tell it was artificially flavored. Um, and... You know, like, I like artificially flavored cigars, but it's so much the same. I mean, I was expecting big things from this from the way some of my friends had talked it up. I gotta say, I wasn't impressed. I mean, it was an okay cigar, you know? Uh, I did get something new out of it, which was caramel. A nice caramel note at the beginning, and it was like salted caramel. And that was consistent in the draw for most of the beginning. Salted caramel with with a bit of coffee. As it became more and more clear... Uh, that we continue going down the cigar, it transitioned from salted caramel to a more nutty, you know, nutty, coffee, bean-esque mix, and then finally went down to uh, just salty toffee caramel and um, a lot of coffee. Um, Definitely not a, definitely not my everyday smoke. If I was going to go for coffee, I'd go for the nub. I don't know what I expected since it's named Java, but it, it was okay. It was okay. Um, the way it looks is essentially, mine was about five to six inches long, box pressed, square, which I think this is the first ever square cigar I've ever smoked. I've had its Java Mint Cousin before, and I, you know, it was okay. You know, it's nifty that it tastes like mint, um, but it is a cigar, so it's still going to stink to high heck. Um, though I like the small cigars, most people don't. I'll be honest with you, most people don't, but I like them. Um, this one was okay. I think if I was going to choose between the two, I'd go with Java Mint. And that might get its own review later on, but you get you get strong coffee flavors. Um, strikes you as kind of a caramel uh, macchiato-esque flavor pattern to it, and it transitions with a little bit of nut and lots and lots of, uh, of, of roast, you know, uh, a little bit of leather too. Now, generally speaking, I would say this is a good beginner cigar. You know, if you're just getting someone involved or you have, you know, something you'd like to throw at people um, and you're not sure if they like cigars or not, I would I would suggest this one. It's pretty good. 
Um, it's definitely not the best one I've ever had, though. I think right now my still favorite standard smoke is the Nub. I think for what it is, it does a better job. Um, it has a better burn, had a better draw. This one's construction was pretty good. It actually didn't fall apart on me at all. Um, so it, it was steady. Uh, it was definitely something, if I had gotten to it before the Nub, maybe I'd swear by this one a little more. Um, but for what it offers, it is a great great stick definitely something i could see smoking in the mornings or the evenings i just smoked it's the evening and uh I, I you know i gotta say it was relaxing i went ahead and started reading um reading a bit while i was out there on the front porch smoking it and i think part of the problem though is i enjoy cigars most in the summer when i'm able to sit on my front porch and enjoy them uh listening to birdsong not in the winter when it's evening and all i can hear is the rustle of traffic in the background and leaves blowing um it's not winter of course but it's 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 getting there and uh as a sign of it getting there you know uh we got to talk about thanksgiving for a bit you know now i get that this is usually a 5 minute segment and then there's a transition and uh i don't know if i'm going to do that this week i think i'm kind of in a rush i don't know if i'm going to go ahead and do transitions i think i'm just going to go completely off the cuff and rant to you for a solid hour. If I think I'm screwing up, I'll go ahead and uh, tr include a transition, but just know that's when I've really messed up and just want to go back and um, get my tangent straight, as it were. Um, so so as far as like Thanksgiving going, you know, I, I'm getting prepped for it. Uh, recently had um, some big things happen, you know, had a family party, had birthdays and, and weddings and Every sort of uh, distraction happened, and, you know, it's it's been rough. Uh, not rough, like, these are all good things, you know, I'm happy to have them, I'm happy to have family nearby, people are coming in, you know, it's that wonderful time of year. I'm, I'm convinced that no place like Home for the Holidays song is actually about Thanksgiving, um, not necessarily, you know, Christmas. Um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm just excited, man, I'm, I'm excited to have my family back in town from Texas, uh, I'm tired. You know, um, but it was good seeing them. They actually recently, uh, in our church, got baptized and gave their hearts to the Lord, which is always great. Um, it's always fun to hear that, uh, you know, family come to faith and what have you. And I don't know whether you're religious or not. You're probably not. But, you know, I, to me, it meant a lot. It was good seeing that. Um, and uh, it's just interesting to have family background, which is really the most important thing. I mean, if you had to choose one worldly thing to take with you, for all time, it would probably be your family for most people. And uh, if it's not, you're probably a sociopath, and uh, I don't know why you're listening to this. But keep listening, because I need your two cents, you filthy sociopath. Now, uh, as all, you guys know, all, all five to ten of you know, um, I'm not in this for the money. I, I'm just here for funsies. And while I do enjoy ranting into a, uh, a phone for about 30 or 45 minutes every week, things do get um, stale, as it were. You know, I'm kind of enjoying it as it is, but if there's, like, any specific topic you guys would like me to address, um, you can always go ahead and reach me through Instagram. I mean, that's pretty much my primary modus operandi. I know that I have, like, 80 followers or whatever. It's not a big deal. You know, it's not a big deal. I'm just that popular, but always uh, feel free to message me. I'd be happy to go ahead and respond or someone on the page, one of the admins will respond and... We'd be happy to get to you. You know, I, I like talking about big things, big topics. I like having people on. If there's a way to have guests on, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, some of the guys I've tried to invite in the past haven't showed up or couldn't get it uh, together. And no matter when I invited them or what, how I changed my schedule. So um, I'm still looking for a co-host of some sort. It would still be nice to be able to get that together. Um, 
It would still be, you know, wonderful to have one of them on. I am thinking about inviting a friend of mine on, um, or a few friends of mine on who have conspiracy theories, because uh, I think that would be really enjoyable. I think I'm a better presenter in the form of a conversation, which I can bounce my ideas off of people, not necessarily a blank wall or a phone. I need someone who's um, active enough to ask questions and engage me, but quiet enough to allow my personality to seep through and have a place to uh, belong in a dialogue. Um, I'm genuinely interested in pursuing that. You know, It's good seeing friends, too. I mean, as things get back-to-back... Um, it's made me think a lot more about getting my co-host and, you know, why I enjoy talking to people in interpersonal relationships. I confess, if you probably met me in real life, you would either be underwhelmed or overwhelmed. I do enjoy hearing my own self talk, and I like talking about a wide range of subjects which people would generally find uncomfortable. Um, and that's one of the beauties about this podcast is I can just talk about whatever I want generally and nothing will uh, happen to me. Though I'm not, uh, it doesn't escape me. I'm not completely unaware of the, uh, you know, the the tremendous amount of pressure that would be imposed upon me if ever this thing grew to anything substantial. Um, but, you know, in any case, I'm, I'm, I'm happy doing it. I'm happy doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I'm struggling a lot, you know, speaking here because it's all off the cuff and I have to have a uh, thing prepared. You know, I'm breathing a lot. I'm studying over my words and so forth. But you know, I think that self-awareness actually adds a sort of realism, a vague realism to what would otherwise be a very uh, dead podcast. Otherwise, I could just do long-form YouTube videos and make myself sound perfect and eloquent in every single segment, as some people do. That's not my status. That's not how I do things. Um, I think that comes off as disingenuous and, generally speaking, fake. Though, no shame to YouTubers who are able to do that. Um, All power to them, you know? They don't say um in their videos, but so be it. So be it. I say um on the podcast. It's a great filler, isn't it? You know? Though usually I run uh, n- no no shortage of words in the podcast. But here I am, it's ten minutes and I've just been ranting myself about the podcast itself. And we got to get on to other topics, such as uh, Thanksgiving. So, here's one of the things that's been bothering me about Thanksgiving, okay? Like, I get that people love it, and a lot of people are freaking out and would prefer if, um you know, we would skip... Thanksgiving and go right to Christmas and other people are in the camp of wait for Christmas and put it off as long as possible because the music is annoying. I, for one, I'm going to go ahead and solve, settle this debate uh, as far as I'm concerned. Christmas is the best holiday ever. And um, while it is obnoxious when they start playing, you know, Christmas music in October, by the time Thanksgiving arrives, by the, you know, about November 25th, it's about time to bust out the Christmas tree. I know that's what my family did. We busted out the Christmas tree like a week after Halloween um, and, and we were pumped, ready November is just one big prep month for the uh, glory that is Christmas coming on the way. And I get this is really a, a podcast done two days before Thanksgiving. It'll be posted tonight. But seriously, what is Thanksgiving but being thankful that Christmas is coming when you really think about it? I mean, the parade's headline, the, the most important part of it is when Santa comes. It's a it's a promissory note that Christmas is coming. That's all Thanksgiving is. It's a celebration for what we're about to enter into, which is the last few days of fall, entering into merry old winter, where beautiful Father Christmas comes along to rush us away to a land of sugar plums, fairies, and, and, and gun drops, and so forth. And I'm just excited about it. I'm excited to share it. I'm excited to hear the Christmas music. I'm excited for snow. I'm excited for winter clothing. I think, generally, winter is my favorite season 
Um, winter and fall are my favorite seasons together. Winter for the holidays, fall because I like the transitionary period between warm and cold. It's perfect for fat people. I'm a fat guy, but hey yo, lost a pound. <laughs> but I'm a fat guy, you know, I sweat a lot. I'm uh, generally acclimated to colder climates. And so fall for me is perfect because it's in between, right? I can wear a jacket and not be super sweaty, and I can wear a sleeveless shirt and be fine. Um, there's sort of a uh, primitive beauty to that. Though, lately I've been dressing up a little bit more. You know, a lot of sweaters, a lot of collared shirts, a lot of ties for my new job. And, you know, I enjoy it. I enjoy it immensely. You know, it, it's a good time. It's a good time, all things considered. Um, I think I'm really thriving in it. I work in customer service. And, you know, while I hate uh, boomers, <laughs> okay, boomer, while I hate boomers, uh, give me a hard time. Generally speaking, I'm finding uh, more and more reason to just go work out and try and crush things up and, and do my best in the job. Um, you know, and I, I find that uh, Thanksgiving is actually going to be a really welcome relief to what would otherwise have gone over as a unwelcome or uh, ignored part of life. As a kid, you know, you really only look forward to Thanksgiving for the three or four extra days you get off. Now as an adult, it's like, I only get that day off. Oh my gosh, wow. What's, what's wrong with me? I'm sweating bullets here. And uh, I think that the reason for that, the reason for, you know, I think you only appreciate that extra day off when you know it's coming, but it's actually making me miserable because my whole family is off this week. I'm the only one who's not, and so I'm miserable and tired at the end of the day, and they don't understand why. Um, though it's, I love being around them, I'm exhausted, you know? They're probably going to listen to this and feel pity for me. They shouldn't. They shouldn't feel pity for me. I'm just tired. I'll get over it. <laughs> I'll get over it. In any case, um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so you know, transitioning to Thanksgiving, you you become more and more grateful for it because not only is it a promissory note that Christmas is coming, it's also a time in which we can collectively reflect on what everything that's happened so far in the year and what we have left. I mean, we only have two months left of the year, you know, November, December, and then we're back to January running the race uh, entirely, you know, and, and it's um, time for you to get your affairs in order and prepare for the worst, prepare for the great dormancy of life. Often winter is the time where people gain weight. It's the time of year where stress, depression, anxiety eats away at people. It's the time of year where a lot of financial struggles tend to happen. It's a time where there's isolation and merriment in equal measure. It's time of year where people struggle. It's time of year where homeless people are at a huge disadvantage. It's time of year where we are all made more aware of the limits of the human uh, ability to take care of one another and the fra uh, fragility of the human psyche. And it's another time where we can be grateful at the same time. It's a time where we can be grateful. And I think Thanksgiving does a really great job of wrapping it up together and essentially wrapping it in a nice little bow and saying, hey, before we go into this time of merriment and depression and happiness and anxiety and family and isolation take a moment pause reflect on everything that's happened in the last year you made it be thankful you made it another year you're gonna make it again there's a sort of um intrinsic poetic beauty to that that i can't really escape when it comes to thanksgiving and honestly i i joke about how it's just a appetizer or a promissory note for uh winter which it is but it's it's also symbolic to me of um Hey, you almost made it through the year. Don't give up. Have some food. There's a there's a sort of um, positive note to be drawn from it, other than, hey, Christmas music is starting. Now, I will say 
that uh, the next thing I wanted to talk about, now that I've done my civic art review and had my little binge on Thanksgiving, I think that this sort of long-form podcast uh, can only go so long before I bring up something to do with politics. Last week I kind of ranted about eco and environments and, and, and people who are basically hypocrites. This week I'm going to rant a little bit about um, how I feel about our media and generally speaking, I find that our media is uh, is rather distrustworthy. I don't think they have integrity, um, regardless of what source you go to. I think that people have to learn from their own personal experiences. And while I love reading about history and human nature and, and philosophy, I've learned more from that than I ever have from a newspaper or watching a video or watching Fox or News or you know CNN or MSNBC. Um, I've learned infinitely more, infinitely more from my own personal experiences because they're the most real and resonant with me. You know, I I love reading about Roman history. I love Plutarch. I love um, reading, you know, the histories by Herodotus. I enjoy the writings of Aristotle uh, and Plato. You know, they're they're great, great things, but they don't replace the experiences a man can have in his lifetime. Which I mean, obviously. The difference is that the experiences are unique to the experiencer, to those that are going through them. Whereas the philosophies written out by these Greek historians, Greek philosophers, by these writers, by these artists, are designed to be palatable and shared with everyone who reads them, right? Um, experience cannot be shared in the same way that a writing can. And even an autobiography written about the experiences of a person going through a series of events in their life does not fully convey every moment it was to live as this person. It only gives a dim reflection of what it was. In that sense, I find that, you know, because even an autobiography written by the most primary, primary sources cannot fully convey meaning, how am I supposed to trust um, news clips and sound clips from people who... Whenever they comment, completely contradict the narrative involved. It makes it difficult, so I then rely on my own personal experiences. And this isn't always an open-minded or wise view, but it's it's what I know. What I know is what I've experienced. What I know is what I've seen. What I know is what I have heard, done, and, and been spoken to me. You know, when I hear the media telling me that X, Y, and Z is the case, I immediately doubt it because they, just like me have a perspective with experience and they're letting it shape them. They have bias, what we call bias, I simply call collected experience. And that's actually to go back to what last week's podcast was kind of about what Nietzsche is getting at, you know, when he talks about the um beyond good and evil, right, and the genealogy of morals. He basically talks about how morals and these high ideals of what's right and what's wrong are essentially a collection of biases created by mankind based on our collective experience. They're a bunch of oughts or, or givens, right? But are they really given? And I take the same kind of approach, not necessarily to objective moral truth, but to people's interpretation of it, to people's interpretation of laws, to people's interpretation of society, to people's interpretation of what is just and what is fair and what is right. I, I, I always take it through the same lens of, hey... You know, while I do believe there are certain objective truth and morals, um, every single way in which we describe, perceive, and see them is based on a person's experience. And that regardless of collective, um, you know, states of affairs, regardless of a collective state in which people reside and live, 
the experience is different to different people at different times and different places. I mean, even I as a human being, you know, even I as a human being am not the same man I was yesterday or the day before that. I might have the same patterns. I might be a, the same human being, but I'm not the same as I was yesterday. And there's always the potential to change. I'm always changing, growing, and my perspective is always widening as the more experience I collect affects my mental state. And this is kind of the fundamental glory of mankind, right? That in spite of being limited and living in time, it's also our greatest advantage, right? That we can reference the past and think of the future and use the present as a lens by which to interpret both at the same time. I think only humans are cognizant of that. Um, I don't know if dolphins or ape, great apes are. I don't know if there's a animal on Earth that thinks of the future and references the past at the same time that like humans can. Or can make decisions based on patterns the way humans can uh, as far as it goes to social groups, collectives, and general trends in history. I think generally humans don't take enough advantage of this ability, which is why history repeats itself. And that's another thing. I think history repeats itself because there are a few very intelligent men who want to repeat history and a bunch of ignorant um, a bunch of ignorant bystanders who don't really realize what history is being repeated. And I'll give you an example. If you look at great man history, a lot of people don't subscribe to great man history, which, by the way, let me get into for a second. So there are two real big schools of thought that I've seen so far when it comes to history. There's great man history, and then there's people's history. Great man history is my favorite because it focuses on the biographies and events of certain people and lives driving a narrative forward, right? Great man history is designed to push a narrative. It's designed to push a narrative of individuals aspiring to greatness, as it implies. Um, so men like Napoleon Bonaparte, Julius Caesar, George Washington, Herbert Hoover, Ted D. Roosevelt, you know, Kennedys, uh, LBJ, presidents, uh, everywhere from dictators to tyrants to presidents to consuls of Rome, um, everyone <clears throat> has something to add and offer to the narrative. But there are certain great figures such as Queen Elizabeth or Victoria or, you know, Margaret Thatcher, Joseph Stalin, um, Adolf Hitler, Mao Zedong, villains and heroes, and men and women who collectively, Catherine the Great, another Peter the Great, who collectively add a lot more leverage to the story and could not necessarily be replaced in their narrative. Um, this interests me. This gives me hope. Because you can see and recognize certain trends in these leaders and... Uh, even though they're very different people across many different cultures, you could see certain aspects of themselves. They're still human. They're still readable. They still have human dimensions to them. And they can still be psychologically understood in a way that I think collectives can't. Now, people's history, uh, being different from great man history, believes that it's not necessarily these individuals that drive the narrative forward, but rather it's the collective um, grind of society and civilizations. Now, what this essentially means is that it doesn't matter that Columbus discovered America. What matters is that the West in general was able to come upon uh, the American continent. It doesn't matter that Pocahontas and John Smith knew each other. What matters is that England and the Native Americans had interactions with one another. It doesn't matter that um, Peter the Great instituted reforms. What matters is the men who carried them out and that Russia was growing, right? So one, one looks at a larger, broader uh, narrative of people, traders, you know, workers, soldiers, and uh, unnamed anonymous masses. Whereas the Napoleon Bonaparte great man history says, well, anonymity is eternal and uh, <laughs> fame is fleeting, right? That, that's the beautiful thing about it. One, one looks at a nation as a collective or groups of people as collectives and does it makes judgments about history based on a collective rather than an individual. 
And I think both have valid points. Um, for me, I prefer Great Man History because it's more inspiring. It pushes a narrative and it reinforces points. I like the moral tales that people tend to uh, choose, which is exactly, by the way, what Plutarch ties to do with his writings. And he's one of the greatest historians ever. Is He uses narratives. He uses um, an agenda to push a moral story with the different characters and themes he writes about. And he's open from this from the very beginning. Um, I remember reading this book called The Histories. I don't know if it was Plutarch who wrote it or um, uh, another gentleman, but basically it talks about the fall, of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire and Republic. And the dude starts out by basically saying, you know, Rome, woo, if, if ever there was a country that was founded by gods or by the gods or God, it was Rome. If ever there was a greater country with more justice, peace, freedom, stability, and wealth, it was Rome, right? And for good reason. I mean, at his point, Rome's a pretty old nation. It's super powerful. He's very proud of it. Woo, Rome! You know, in the same way that Americans would talk about America. We have a great deal, well, the right type of Americans, <laughs> have a great deal of national pride um, for our country. We're proud of its accomplishments. We're proud of its history. We're proud of its success. We're proud of its wealth, its power, its influence in the world, and what it's done so far. And we've only been around for a little over 100 years. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it's not a lot. But if ever there was a time for manifest destiny, well, the Romans had that too. And it's still readable today. You know? Um... And it's fun to read because it is exactly as a patriotic American would have read it because it has bias. People's history tends to have a bias, but it's more subtle in that it's from the perspective of class and group uh, than it is from an individual. So when we read about Napoleon Bonaparte, if you read from France's point of view, mo mostly Napoleon's point of view, you're sympathetic. He's a consul who rises and takes a nation you know, from backwards failure and corruption and turns it around to the most successful powerful empire in the world um or at least in europe at the time utterly beating the other nations and monarchies and established kingdoms around him and almost beating great britain twice uh the gentleman is a great general he came from a low-ranking corsican family an island he moved to france and pretty much worked his way up from the lower middle class all the way up to the most powerful man in the world in a country that wasn't even technically his own. He was from an island off the coast of France called Corsica. Um, and it's very inspiring, you know. And he, actually his dream was always to build this empire and echo Alexander the Great and build a pan-European empire. And he even claims himself as consul and then as emperor, right? He follows the same pattern that Julius Caesar did. Consul, dictator, emperor. And uh, you could see that this one very cognizant, very well-known man who knows his history tries to repeat it um, to great effect. And it does work, but just like Caesar, he watches his empire crumble before him because his pride and vanity um, could not keep up with what was feasible, especially when you have everyone working against you. And so you pity him. Now, Did from a people's history perspective... Uh, it's just the opposite. You you don't like Napoleon because even though he built the empire up and made France, quote-unquote, France great again, uh, his expensive wars, trade embargoes, and bullying affected millions of people for his own vanity, right? Um, you take his accomplishments and all of them kind of crumble to dust and leave France poor and backwards and another republic has to be declared right where it started off. Um, you, you take away everything Napoleon did set up the concert of Europe. Um, though, you know, and there are two sides of this, right? So you have the part of history that wants to see Napoleon as a villain who caused wars in his own pride and hubris, put himself and France in a dangerous position and the entire European continent instability 
Um, but then you also have to admit his continental system and his code of laws, the Napoleonic Code, uh, fundamentally shaped the future of European politics and law interpretation in the same way that Emperor Justinian's did earlier. And before him, you know, of course, we have Suleiman the Magnificent, and both of them are recognized lawgivers, give or take. Um, just as every great man has had his impact on history, so does Napoleon. And by the way, if it hadn't been for his wars and the Reconstruction afterwards, we wouldn't have had the Concert of Europe, which wouldn't have led to 100 years of basic peace, which wouldn't have led to then World War I because of a complex series of alliances set into place by Audubon, Bismarck, and the, the other European powers. And you wouldn't have had uh, the destruction of the Holy Roman Empire, which would have led to Austria and Germany being created. And it, the whole of history has changed if Napoleon doesn't exist, right? You see what I'm getting at? No Austria Germany equals and no German unification equals no World War One, which equals no World War Two, which equals no American well maybe American, but really not really American, um supremacy across Europe and the Cold War and all everything is affected. Right? Everything is affected because of Napoleon's life. The narrative completely changes. You know, Great Britain and its empire might not be the same. You know, maybe Europe the European Union would have existed way earlier because of Napoleon. We don't know, and we never will. But Napoleon's impact, nonetheless, for better or for worse, should be recognized. And a lot of it was driven by him and his own ego and, you know, hubris and, you know, ability. I mean, the dude had ego, but in a sense, I mean, look at his mark on history. It was earned. And then, of course, people's history would have to write it off and say, look at all the death and destruction he caused. I generally think that... um you could take a positive people's history approach. You could say, yeah, it formed the Concert of Europe, which then helped for 100 years of peace. But the people that suffered under his rule or because of it, you know, they they have a story that's not really being acknowledged. It's probably somewhere in the between. I think the way we interpret history says a lot about the society we live in. I tend to interpret history through great man lens. I like watching individuals rise above their circumstances and conquer the world. I like seeing people inflict the will around them and, and changing reality as they see fit because it gives them strength and empowers them to be the greatest they can be. It gives me hope that maybe I can do that one day. But I also understand that tyrants and kings and, and, and evil can be done while this is happening. I understand that, you know, while Napoleon might have been a great man, a great man, he might have been intelligent, crafty, ambitious, brave, you know, he, he was a lot of great things, but he was also arrogant, proud, dishonest at times, selfish, egotistical, you know, a lot of the pride keeps coming up, but if there's something that, you know, if there's something honorable or good about a person and they've done great and terrible things, then you have to say, hey, they've done great and terrible things and not just leave it at at one or the other. And I think that's the problem today is we, we take men who have had such a huge impact on history and we either write them off as great or terrible based on our own bias and don't look at things from an objective standpoint or at least as objectively true as we can get. And there's no real such thing as an objective standpoint when it comes to being human. I mean, that's why authority comes from outside the human psyche, right? From the individual onto the collective society, from a deity that imposes its will, right? This idea that, you know, from Napoleon's view, he did nothing wrong. But from one of the countless European families who lost sons, brothers, and wives, and children to the, the wars, he started, you know, guy might have been horrible. 
probably was. I don't know. I wasn't there. But what I'm seeing, all I have is retrospect and hindsight. And hindsight is 2020. It's but it is it though. Is hindsight always 2020, or is it based on the person who's seeing it and from what angle and when? You know, in a hundred years, people could be looking back, listening to this podcast, saying, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, he's an idiot. We can, of course, see back in time, you know, we have time travel. I don't know. I don't know. But even if I did, it wouldn't matter. Because I'm just living in the present, interpreting the past and thinking of the future. When you're thinking about history, when you're thinking about events that have come to pass, when you're thinking about the world and the future and everything that will and and can be and might be and might not be, you have to think about in these terms that, that a man like Napoleon, a man, one guy, one set of history, one set of rules, you know, his life and death, everything, the guy was just trying to repeat what he had seen before. And people allowed him to do it because either they weren't aware of it or they were aware. And But I, I suspect I suspect that they weren't aware. I suspect the average person didn't know about the campaigns of Caesar. I suspect the average man did not know about the references to the Holy Roman Emperor, Charlemagne, or to Maravich, or to any of the ancient kings Napoleon harkened back to. I doubt... Very highly, the average Frenchman knew that their emperor was only a man who had done, who was hearkening back and repeating what he had seen done before him. And I suspect that the next great emperor we see will be a man who knows very much about history and a time where people know very little about it. It's not necessarily that, you know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. It's rather those who do history are doomed to repeat it are destined to repeat it, and those who don't know are doomed to allow it. And I think that's uh, that pretty much summarizes my point on history there. I love speaking about it. I could probably give a rant like that about every guy, you know. I love talking about the different leaders, and, you know, I could get wrong, certain facts wrong, but I, I focus on narratives, generally speaking. I, you know, I enjoy it immensely. I do, I do. And um, I gotta say, you know, as as I go about here ranting and raving and it gets later and later. I mean it's nine thirty excuse me, nine fifty five at the time of this recording. I I just have to think to myself, like, in my place in history, like what is it? And am I interpreting it correctly? And if I'm interpreting it, who's to say it's correct or not? Is narrative more important than fact, or is fact more important than narrative? Honesty would say that facts are, but facts are interpreted through narrative. It's strange. It is strange to live in this time and place in which I wish to have objective truth and support it, and yet have to acknowledge that my own bias is still there. It is strange. In any case, uh, it's it's been half an hour, and you know I've been told that my podcasts go a little too long, and this is kind of an informal recording, so I'll just leave it here. But I hope you guys have a good night. I hope you guys have a good week, actually, and a happy Thanksgiving. Be safe. Don't overindulge too much. Let me know what you thought of the podcast. And uh, go ahead and have a great night. Bye.